Live from the Haymarket Pub Brewery in Chicago, this is Bug House! our opinions to ourselves, and that's okay, because discussing our opinions is what makes up conversation. But when our opinions become charged with untruths and emotion, and we refuse to allow as much room for others' opinions as we expect ours deserve, conversation and productivity stall. And that's about where we're at today, in today's conversations. With Facebook and dinner with friends, it just gets kind of awful. Back in the mid-20th century, the informed and passionate would gather at Washington Square Park to express their opinions on issues of the day. Depending on which side of the argument one was on, some of the opinions were easily considered crazy, which is why they called this gathering Bug House Square. So some of the arguments you hear tonight might sound completely bonkers to you. But it's important to note that every person that is on the stage tonight is not crazy. like certifiably crazy. Each speaker has taken time to research their side of the topic and build a valid argument. We, we hope, I haven't heard them, we hope that. <laughs> how we feel about that argument, how we actually feel like about the side of the argument they're on is not as important as how well constructed that argument is. Because if we can debate with intelligence, it doesn't matter which side we're on, but we can have a healthy and fair discussion. And that's the point of this. This is the art of the dialectic. Ladies and gentlemen, John Kapal. Fall, 1979. I'm beginning my sophomore year at Grays Lake Community High School. Like most high schools, graduation required only one year of science. But I'm a nerd, and I'm chasing four years of science. I had already aced biology that, sum that summer before in summer school. I'd go on to take honors biology and physics, but that fall, it was chemistry. I recall learning three things from high school chemistry. One, don't trust your lab partner to have your back. I was paired with Buddy Callahan, who was a year older, popular, played football, and he was enrolled in the academic honors classes like me. The kind of guy that just skated through life because he was nice. When we were doing our make your own fire extinguisher using carbon dioxide experiment, this jackass was fucking around and exploded the cat flask full of baking soda and hydrochloric acid, the scar of which remains on my left forearm. Second, I did not have the maturity, discipline, and math necessary to do well. 
It was a blur, an extraordinary effort just to keep up. And third, the concept of the crucible, a porcelain or graphite cup used in chemistry to heat chemical compounds to very high temperatures. The idea being extraordinary heat will burn away the impurities of a thing, leaving the pure substance. I wonder what David was thinking when he assigned the topic, our tribe, like-minded bubble or diverse in thought. Paul is supposed to argue it's better that birds of a feather think together. I'm supposed to argue that disagreements make us all better. The answer seems obvious to me. Of course disagreements make us all better. Pursuing disagreements to discern truth is bug houses raison d'etre. The reason for bug house existing. It's part of the damn introduction and the manifesto to burn away the impurities of sloppy argument, to expose the careless tropes, to ignore appeals to slapstick humor and cloying sentiment, to mock appeals to popular opinion, to deride over generalizations, to apply heat to the crucible and see what remains true. I sort of suspect this argument, our tribe, like-minded bubble or diverse in thought, is kind of a rhetorical trap. Are we talking about how we learn? What inspires curiosity and discovery? Or are we talking about the efficiency of change? Because the power to affect change is not more effective when everyone thinks alike. In fact, conformity is actually destructive. Real power to affect positive change is not force or fists or guns. Force is the ability to push people around, to get your way through intimidation, to win because you bribe the judges, because you rig the system. Real power is the ability to discern through rigorous examination, question and answer, dialogue, disagreements to see distinctions and speak insights that are absent from the narrative. This is how we change the world. The questions of our life should be, can I distinguish and understand different points of view? Can I evaluate different arguments? Can I use my insight to make the world a better place? In other words, can I see all six sides of the cube? Consider a ream of paper. To the user, it's a tool to get work done. To the paper seller, it's a skew and inventory that can be sold. To the paper manufacturer, it's a loss leader, a necessary evil. To the electronic printer manufacturer, it's the reason people buy printers. To the lawyer, it's something that gets people into or out of trouble. To a doctor, it's the media for good news, no news, or bad news. To a priest, it's something to worship when printed with the right words. To a child with watercolors and crayons, it's their grandest artistic expression. The second time I was married, we did the ceremony overlooking the waterfall at Julia Pfeiffer Burns State Park south of Big Sur in California. Across the road was a little restaurant founded by her father, an original homesteader. And the menu had the story of him and the principles he used to raise his kids. Awareness, attention, anticipation. 
and I realized, fuck, that's what my dad's always tried to teach me when we played chess or drove a car or went camping. Pay attention to the people in the world around you. Be aware of the dynamic shifts in circumstances. Anticipate the moves other people will make. All of which is impossible without distinctions and disagreements. Correct answers will withstand confrontation. False answers will not stand to examination. Question. What am I going to learn from another college-educated, cisgendered, heterosexual white man? I might learn how to expand my privilege and hoard more money, or, or how to take advantage of my colleagues with greater efficiency. That's bullshit. I learn more about my humanity from interactions with people that disagree with me and that are different from me. The point of view of a black or brown woman is far more informative or a black and brown man, or a gay man, or a transitioning person, or an immigrant, or a poorly educated, cis, hetero, poor white man living in a double wide trailer, working multiple part-time jobs, hoping the disability check shows up on time. I might not agree with their, dis their point of views. I might even find their opinions offensive. But I need to understand them, and that puts me in a position to better serve humanity. Real power is embracing, demanding, hungering, and thirsting for more distinctions, more points of view, and more disagreements. I believe a big part of the attraction of Mayor, Mayor Pete Buttigieg is his ability to fence with religious bigots, to throw their words into their faces and make them confront their hypocrisy and lies. He knows their arguments better than they do. And he knows how to flip the script on bringing forth a distinction that they are blind to. He disagrees and he knows their point of view. Don't disagree just to be argumentative. And not all opinions have equal weight. But you must seek the opinion, examine it, and file it accordingly. Isaac Asimov said, anti-intellectualism has been a constant thread winding its way through our political and cultural life, nurtured by the false notion that democracy means that my ignorance is just as good as your knowledge. Be the crucible. Thrive in the conflict. Burn away the impurities. Shred the irrelevancies. And expose the bullshit. Thank you. All right, that's John Cabal. One more time for him. There's one side of it, and then here's Paul Tudor to say he's full of shit. <laughs> I am not here to say that uh, John is full of shit, because I made a decision uh, today as I was preparing that I'm going to approach this in a little bit different way. The first statement I want to make is, Virtually nothing that I say is the truth. <laughs> I'll say it again. Virtually nothing that I say is the truth. Meaning the next statement I say most likely isn't the truth. It's just my opinion. But it's an opinion I would like to propose to you. And there's a key word in what I just said that I personally feel strikes a chord with many of us in here, and that is the word is. <laughs> is. 
She is. He is. And said with the right inflection, depending on how you hear it, you either become a member of a tribe. Again, it's just my opinion. It's not the truth. Or you view yourself is removing yourself from the tribe or not wanting to join the tribe. But the concept of a tribe implies togetherness, like-minded people. For example, this creature, for one, that creature is not a bird. Because I would have said, you know, birds of a feather, and someone might have said, well, it's not a bird. It's sort of a bird. It is a penguin, or not. You may say it's not a penguin. But for the sake of unanimity and like-minded tribedness, let's call this thing a penguin. And you see any other penguins around? No. Next slide. There's a shitload of penguins. Now this is what happens if you're not in a shitload of penguins. Okay. So, so there is protectionism in a tribe. Now, some people laughed. Some people said, oh, it's a gross thing. Some of you haven't made a decision yet. <laughs> and, and what I'm proposing is something serious. And that is, out of survival, I believe, it's not the truth, it's just what I believe, more often than not, people have a better chance of, of surviving by establishing a relationship in a group. Next slide you see a singular male lion, I believe. Yep. Okay, next slide. Now you see a shitload of lions. <laughs> and I've studied these creatures vociferously, at least for 15 or 20 minutes today. And, and actually I've been to Africa and I have hung with lions. And lions for the most part don't feed their family unless they kill stuff to eat. And they generally don't kill stuff unless they're like that as opposed to the first lion. And so this is what happens if you join in to survive. You eat a zebra. <laughs> yes. But you notice, and when I was in Africa and I saw lions eating things, it was rarely one lion, if ever, a lion. So they work in groups. And I, and I think the premise of the discussion today is, is group think, is group activity a good thing? Birds of a feather, do we flock together? Or the opposite of that is misery loves company. You ever get stuck in a line, like at a grocery store, and there's like 10 of you in there, and you want to bitch and moan to anybody in the line who'll listen to you? And if you can't find someone, you're getting more pissed off. <laughs> I think that's human nature. Some of you might be saying, not me. Now the idea of isms, I'd like to just come back to that point again. I believe that a shortcut to survival is that we is things. Meaning we learn something as a group of people and we say, yeah, yeah, we all do this. 
and then we survive. We figure out how to work together to get what we want. And we, we develop these things called tribes. So if a tribe was, I'm going to encompassed here, there'd be a whole lot of people. Someone breaks out of here and says, I ain't doing the shit that we're doing in here. That's how things like computers get discovered, automobiles, stuff like that. So the person's over here, and everybody else saying, what the fuck are you doing? We ride horses. You're, you're messing around with some sort of machine. Okay? And the guy says, well, I don't like horses. Or horses makes my crotch itch, or whatever. Okay? And, 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 and he just he goes off by himself, and he works at it. But it never really becomes anything that gets integrated into the world until the crotchetcher gets some other people to join his new tribe. And it's called an automotive company or Amazon. Or, and, 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 I, and some of you may be recoiling and saying, see, I don't want that. Well, you know, we're sitting on chairs made by groups of people, by someone who invented it who broke from his tribe. And so my premise to you, not that it's the truth, it's my idea, my thinking, is that folks who jump out of the tribe to come up with a diverse idea, if the idea usually is going to be effective in the context of the society, maybe not the tribe, but the bigger set of tribes, happens, the breakthrough happens when other people join in. And there's a multitude of stories if you are, you know, I used to have a job and I used to have to go to all these seminars about breakthroughs and stuff like that. And some of them were kind of interesting. Like the guy who discovered the new kind of mechanism for watches and he worked for, uh, help me out, what's the famous company that makes watches? Optics. No. <laughs> Rolex. Swiss. He went to Rolex with the Swiss movement. He says, I got a new idea. I got this little thing called tiny little battery, and, and it'll keep good time. It'll be a lot cheaper. And they said, well, fuck that. We make Swiss watches. That's, that'll never fly. The guy went somewhere else. He got out of the, the tribe, went over here, and basically put the Swiss movement, except for people who have more money than God, can afford. And then someone a while back, develop one of these things, and a whole lot of us now no longer wear any kind of watch because he broke out of that tribe. So what I propose to you is that if morality is good, if your heart's in the right place, you and the birds can hang out. Your crotch starts to have a problem, and you go off to the side and you do a breakthrough. And then you tell some other people about this new thing called a car. <laughs> and then maybe even an airplane. So there you go. Thank you. All right, so there you go. <laughs> the Jacques Paul saying that diversity among our friends is great. And Palchotto saying everyone should think the same, otherwise a lion's gonna scissor your sister's zebra or whatever the hell's happening there. Alright. So a couple questions. Does the audience have any questions for either the debaters or both of the debaters? Any questions at all? A question about what the other I think twelve or seventeen slides on, on Paul's slideshow were? <laughs> Um, anything about 
bubble theory? No questions, none at all. Phyllis has a question. Yes, Phyllis. So once the person has started this new tribe, is he then in danger of somebody breaking out from that tribe and starting a third? So the question is for Paul? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so somebody starts a new tribe, mm -hmm. and then if they start that new tribe, do, then, do they then start a third tribe? Right. Will somebody break out from that second well, tribe? Does the breakout continue? That's an excellent question. And I have what I perceive to be an excellent yeah. answer. Uh, yes, I, and I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. I have I have a proposal to you. This was told to me. I'm, I know. I'm, you don't listen with your ears. You listen with your past, and you can change your past by changing exactly what you're doing right now, hence you listen differently, you break out of the tribe to new breakthroughs, whether that be regarding your opinions on sexuality, race, parenthood, your baseball team, whatever. I just heard a bell thing. The other bell, but you were about up. Was the question for John, too? Can you can answer yeah, oh. oh, yeah, Okay, you got a minute. <laughs> I'm not positive, but I think Paul is proving my point. The differences in thinking and differences in how you view and see and apply yourself to the world lead to innovation, lead to creativity, lead to us expanding and excelling. I think that's the point Paul was making. And I agree. <laughs> okay. Any other questions for either of the guys? No. All right. Frank, your honorable Frank, the honorable Frank Leiden, have you come to a ruling? I think I have. Okay. And your ruling is? Well, they're both good arguments, very different styles, and they have to get the job. John Kapal is the winner? Yeah. The diverse thought is a better way to go about it. Okay, let's give John a round of applause. And throw some in there for Paul, too, because this is all right. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Gorgo is going to tell us that everyone wins with Triple Down. Uh, Bill, Bill Gorgo is going to tell you no such thing. Um, as a natural-born communist, I can't think of a single topic that I would less like to debate than this one. I feel like John Wayne Gacy's court-appointed attorney. You know what I mean? It's just like, what the hell am I doing here? The only time I've ever wanted a, a, a rich person to trickle down on me is if I was standing really close to the guillotine. That's, you know, the way I feel about the rich in general. So when I was given this topic, my first inclination was to just come up and go, you win, and just sit down again and drink beer. Uh, I mean, I already have a cup. What the hell am I gonna do with a lapel pin? I don't even have a lapel. So you know what I mean? It's like a lose, 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 lose situation. I gotta go and buy a suit, so I have a lapel. That doesn't make any sense to me. But then I heard something which changed everything. And this is what I heard on the radio. A guy said that, that Bob Gibson, the Hall of Fame St. Louis Cardinal pitcher, 
in his illustrious career, pitched six shutouts that he won one to nothing, where the winning run was a Bob Gibson home run. I mean, think about it. I mean, he's a great pitcher and he's a pretty good hitter, but six one to nothing shutouts that he hit the winning home run? Now, some of you are looking at me like, what the hell does that have to do with trickle-down e economics? Not a goddamn thing, okay? <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you here. But the last three weeks, instead of researching this topic, I've been trying to figure out if Bob Gibson actually pitched six one-to-nothing shutouts that he won with a home run. Uh, no, it's total bullshit. I, uh, I don't know why I told you that. Yes, I do. Um, I realized if I could spend three weeks thinking that that might be true, maybe my whole feeling about trickle-down economics has been based on bullshit too. And maybe I should do a little research. Or, or at least ask Siri to do a little research while I drove down here tonight. And uh, so I did. And here's what I found out. First of all, a lot of our opinions about trickle-down economics might be based on the fact that we call it trickle-down economics. That's a pejorative. It goes back to an essay that Will Rogers wrote about 90 years ago. He's, if you don't know who Will Rogers was, he was a, he was a, uh, a humorist uh, who, who came from Oklahoma right around the time that Oklahoma was blowing into Arkansas. So he might have had an attitude to start with about rich people, okay? Plus, if you're getting your economic opinions from a humorist, your life is pretty fucked up right now, I'm telling you. I've been a comedian for 35 years. If you believe a single word I say, there's something wrong with you. Our job is not truth-telling. Our job is getting laughs. And certainly, economist is not anywhere on our list of, of traits, right? But he didn't come up with the theory. He just gave it the crappy name, trickle-down. The theory's been around longer. 30 years before, William Jennings Bryan referred to it like this. He said, the government wants to give uh, rich people money so that it will leak down on the poor. I think you can see a, a, a thread here. Uh, before William, William Jennings Bryan, the whole, that whole economic theory was called, get this, the horse and sparrow economy. You know why? Because they said, if you give enough oats to a horse, eventually, He'll shit out some for the sparrows, is what he <laughs> So poor people, uh, let's face it, the rich have, have gone from shitting on us, to leaking on us, to trickling down on us. Perhaps with luck, our grandchildren, the rich will just fart in our general direction, and that'll be a real improvement. But any way you cut it, we're talking about uh, economic theory that has had a bad nickname for over 100 years. So as soon as you hear about it, you're going, well, that sucks. Well, part of the reason it sucks is because, well, let's face it, the government's giving money to the rich. If you're not rich, of course that sucks. You don't care about the consequences, you care about the fact that you're not getting the damn money. But let's look at it a little deeper. You got money, there's five things you can do with it. You can pay taxes, you can give it away, you can save it, you can invest it, uh, you can spend it. If you're really rich, you can light your cigars with it, but that's not like a major line item, usually. Okay, for this theory, take taxes off the table because that would be the government giving you money and then taking it right back, so forget about that. 
Uh, the rich could give the money away. Yeah, don't hold your breath, but forget about that one too. Why does the government give them money? To invest, see? Well, why don't they give it to us? Because we wouldn't invest it. Think about it. First of all, you hear a poor person won a half a billion dollars in a lottery. They have the, the, the press conference. You ever hear the word invest? No, I'll tell you what they do. They buy a house, they buy a car, they buy a boat, and then the rest is cocaine and hookers. Let's be honest. We're poor people. We don't know about investing. Look at it another way. The government wants to stimulate the economy. They give the money to the 1%. Each of them gets about, you know, $50 million. What do they do? They invest it. If they took that same amount of money and gave it to all the poor people, let's face it, a lot more poor people. 99%, right? So we wouldn't get $50 million. We get like 100 and a quarter. We go to the Cubs game, we have three beers, we're broke again. Where's the investment? You got $125, you gonna start a factory? I don't think so. So we give it, we give it to the rich. Now you, I know you're thinking, yeah, okay, what if they don't invest it? What if they save it? Well, if they save it, they put it in the bank. What does the bank do? They invest it. Well, maybe not, maybe they just loan it out. Who do they loan it to? Someone who's going to invest. So any way you look at it, saving and investing, same damn thing, right? But I know what all of you were thinking. Fuck those people, they're just gonna spend it like I would. Well, no, they're not gonna spend it like you would. First of all, you don't have $50 million. So no matter how they're gonna spend it, they're probably not gonna, you know, buy a lot of nice $5 things. <laughs> That's way too many $5 things. It's just, they'd have to buy another factory to store the $5 things that they want. They're gonna buy a $50 million thing. But some of the things that rich people buy are the things that we want but we can't afford. But because the rich people buy them, eventually the cost of production goes down. Ask your grandparents what they paid for their first television set. Half a year's salary for a three-inch black and white screen that was only on two hours a day. What the fuck were they thinking, right? You get a part-time job on a Tuesday, you can buy a screen big enough to fill your living room. I had a business in the 70s. My first calculator, $120. Five years later, the jewel was giving them out because it was cheaper than Monopoly cards. Come on. What did you pay for your first computer, for your first cell phone, for your first smartphone? What did you pay for your first memory card or, or, or thumb drive? What are the rich people buying now that we want but we can't afford? Electric cars? Self-driving cars? 10 years we'll be able to afford those. Uh, maybe 15, 20 years, trips around the world, trips to the moon, personal guillotines. That's my case. From the intelligent and alpha male, Marilyn Leinstein. Or alpha female, sorry, Jesus. I'm so, I'm just so afraid. It's okay, my dick is bigger than yours. Um, oh, I gotta keep this in, that's right. Sorry, I'm a comic, so I'm used to taking it out. Okay, uh, the mic. It's weird being on a podcast because they like can't see what's going on. Um, okay, so first off, uh, I'm arguing the other side, but before I start that, I wanna uh, just point out that this man admitted he was a communist, and as someone who, bleeds 
red, white, and blue, why are we not calling the cops on him right now, right? Like, lock him up. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So trickle down sucks. Uh, a lot of you are going it's, to, it's, this is, I mean, it's kind of easy because I'm not talking to rich people because if you were rich, you wouldn't be here. So I already got that going on my side. Um, the reason it sucks is because uh, it doesn't lead to economic growth. It doesn't lead to income growth, it doesn't lead to wage growth, and it doesn't lead to job creation, okay? Because they say that uh, tax cuts on rich will trickle down to the middle class and the poor. That is false. It makes the rich richer, and we should avoid tax cuts for them like we avoid AIDS, okay? <laughs> Good, I'm glad we all agree. Uh, okay, so... When rich people have tax breaks, aka more money, his whole thing was they're gonna they're gonna invest it, they're gonna do this and that. Here's the thing: if a rich person wants to open a restaurant or some other type of business that's gonna help us, they don't need a tax break to do that. They're gonna do that regardless. They're rich. They're gonna do whatever they want. Like you know what I mean? Like it's stupid. It's literally like the stupidest argument in the world. Like. Rich people will do whatever they want because here's the thing, if you were born rich, you're born with money and you're like uh, Kylie Jenner and you're like the world's youngest billionaire, like you've always had money, you're going to do whatever it takes to stay money because you can't handle the streets. And if you're poor and you fucking clawed your way up, I get it dude, like that sucks. It sucks. You don't want, you don't want 30% of your income to go to these other minion losers. But here's the thing, you were willing to do things to get to that money that most of us wouldn't do, like eat a child, or m murder a puppy, or um, go on a plane with Jeffrey Epstein. Like, you're willing to do things, you know what I mean? Like, you're willing to do things that most of us really just uh, couldn't even imagine ever doing. And the thing is, is like, because they're willing to do those things, they're gonna do whatever they want, whether you give them a tax break or not. They don't, it doesn't even really matter. Like. Also, with these tax breaks, what they're doing is they're just going to hoard the money more or put it in offshore accounts or whatever. Like, they're not going to be buying a yacht that Americans are making. If anything, they're going to buy a yacht, and then it's going to be from China, and then they're going to spit on you. Okay, so, <laughs> like, I, I mean, like, rich people want to buy X, Y, and Z, and they'll do it without a tax break. I already said that. The other thing is I think we need to get rid of these loopholes, like these investment loopholes or Wall Street loopholes. I don't know a lot about this stuff, but I know that uh, you can be like really rich, rich. Like I think it's Warren Buffett. Like he was paying less in taxes than his secretary. So I think all rich people should pay minimum 30% in taxes. I'm thinking the richer you are, the more. If you hit a billion, you're paying 45% in taxes. And they might be like, Merit, that's not fair. I worked really hard to get here. And like I said, you worked really hard to get here, I'm sure you can murder another baby and puppy, and you will. You will, because guess what? In order to have that much money, you have to be a selfish narcissist and you won't give it away. So I, I believe in you, and I know I'm talking to you guys, but pretend I'm talking to rich people. I believe in you, I believe in you, and I think you can get the money back. You don't need tax breaks. Also, tax breaks, this is how rich people should look at it. I don't need a fucking tax break. That's like performance enhancing drugs. I don't need a tax break. I'd be rich without a fucking tax break. Tax me, bitch, and I'll still be a billionaire. If you're a real billionaire, that's how you think. <laughs> All right? Uh, oh, they want to expand. I don't even know what I wrote to. The other thing, I, uh, when I was researching this, 
is I looked up, I'm like, what's the middle class? Like, what is the middle class these days? And uh, uh, I didn't do a lot of research, but it seemed it was like anywhere between $40,000 and like $135,000, which I thought was super interesting uh, because I make a little over $40,000. And if I made closer to the other end, I wouldn't have a roommate whose chinchilla I think about murdering at night. So just keep that in mind. You know what I'm saying? The middle class is weird too. But um, that I just really wanted to talk about that because if you agree to have a chinchilla and you agree to be someone's roommate and you agree that chinchilla is going to stay in your room and then six months later you move it five feet outside your roommate's room and you don't clean up the shit pellets and you have to all i'm saying is um i want to be rich um, <laughs> because i hate it <laughs> but like and here's the other thing it's like how am i gonna get rich right because it's like, I, I don't want to sell my soul. I don't want to murder a puppy or a baby. And I wasn't born into money. And it's like, here's the thing. Everyone, like, I hate Trump. But we all focus on the wrong. Everyone's like, oh, grab women by the pussy. It's like, if Jeff Bezos grabbed me by the pussy, that would make my life. Do you understand? <laughs> I would have so much fucking money. Even a million. That's all I need. That would last me a lifetime. Because I would invest it and not back into you guys. I would selfishly invest it because now I'm rich, okay? Because I'm rich. And um, what else? Trickle down, it doesn't help. I just gotta, I gotta do my wrap up points, I guess. I don't, how long have I been up here? Oh yeah, we're about, we're about there. Okay, so yeah, trickle down is bad. Uh, trickle down, uh, if anything, you're just gonna get a fleck of pee on you and a communist yelling at you. Um, it's just, it's really, <laughs> it's just really not worth it. It's not good. Um, the rich should be taxed. Uh, if you're a real rich gangster, then you can handle the taxes and you'll still be rich. And if you can't handle the taxes, then I guess you aren't a gangster. So I'm Merritt Lance Center and that's my argument. <laughs> Okay, so there, there it is. We have questions for Merritt, who says that trickle-down economics does not work, or Bill, who says that... It doesn't work. It doesn't. <laughs> for the sake of the show, man. For the sake of the show. Uh, Frank, you've had some time to deliberate. I have. And your thoughts, your ruling. You know, since they sort of both made the same argument. <laughs> It goes to Merritt? All right, so Merritt made the better argument on the same point. Okay, fair enough. Merritt, congratulations. Let's a round of applause. Let's keep it going for a second. David Fink, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, smattering of people. Applause. <laughs> um, David, would you please play the video? This is amazing. No sound. <laughs> He's now saying, blood of Jesus. <laughs> He's astounded. He's amazed. Would you play that just one more time? Please? Watch it. Disappears. Where did it go? 
Oh my, unbelievable. Now this is magic, okay? Magic is fun and entertaining. I was once a magician. I was David King of Magic. <laughs> I, I was, prepubescent, uh, socially awkward boy. Um, and the spoiler alert, you might want to leave before you, you know, I say this, but magic, they're tricks and illusions. They're not really magic. It's branding. And it's fun. It's cool. Um, I love to entertain people with, with these tricks. It was harmless, and um, pe people loved it, and I loved doing it. And there are a lot of deceptions that are harmless and entertaining uh, based on fantasy and being creative. And we believe some of them because they're plausible, but they're not true. And deep down, no matter what you want to believe, you know that they're really not true. I love magic. I don't really want to know how mo most of it's done because it just takes the fun out of it. It's much more fun buying into it, going along with it, and you know, being entertained, maybe being invested in it. Went to Magic Lounge last week. I highly recommend it. Great place, but it's not real. Um, so when I was a kid, I enjoyed watching The Three Stooges. I really only liked the ones with curling. And it was not long before I figured out that it was just play acting. You know, they weren't really doing that stuff. And uh, like novels in some theater, it has elements of truth, but it's not true. When I was a little bit older, I'd watch pro wrestling on TV, often watch it with my grandfather. And it was a big thing at the time, and I'd talk about it with my classmates, like on the bus and at recess. And we'd have these big debates whether it was really a competition or if it was fake. And it wasn't very long before we all learned that it was just, just a performance and a fun performance, and I totally enjoyed it, but it's fake. Um, if you Google sideshow acts, some of them were real, but many of them were just illusions. They're, you know, P.T. Barnum, Flim Flam. It's, um, you know, you want to believe it. You know, there's so many things you just want to believe in, even though they're not true. Like, believe it or not, a lot of those strippers really just aren't attracted to you. <laughs> you know, it's illusions out there. Um, there are a number of entertainers that are fun to see. There are mentalists, there are mediums, psychics. And they all fall into this category. Fun to see. I particularly enjoy watching audiences watch them, especially mentalists and mediums. And I have a performance space. I've hired them. You know, I, I love the whole thing. People love it. Many people believe it. I, I don't. Um, but I, I enjoy it. But personally, I'm really not that interested in discussing if people really have these supernatural abilities. I think we all know they don't. Uh, we all believe what we believe, and sometimes it's fun to believe in things that are not plausible, or are plausible, but barely plausible, but in our hearts, we know it can't be true. Um, and then there are other things that we believe for other reasons that I'm a little bit personally more invested in, such as um, we have a belief due to faith, such as uh, our belief in God and religion. Um, some of us feel that we have uh, proof of this, but many of us just without proof still believe. We believe based on faith. We believe based on our upbringing. We believe because we choose to believe that. It gives us comfort. It gets us to behave in a way that's good for society. gives us hope when there's no other hope. So we choose to believe in, in God. There are other 
things that we believe for various other reasons that um, I'm more invested in that can have much more impact on a daily basis. Um, some people choose to believe things that go contrary to science and strong evidence. Uh, and sometimes this is really harmful and disturbing. Um, a few topics that I just thought of, um, climate change, uh, the existence of race. Is, that, is there actually a difference in, in race or is that just something we just made up? Uh, are vaccinations safe? Do they actually cause um, other problems or are they safe for children? Is homosexuality a choice? Um, is the earth round? Did Michael Jackson abuse young boys? Was the Holocaust real? There's stakes involved in these issues and people believe what they believe. And I think that that, to me, is, is a, a, a much bigger topic than psychics. And finally, there's some other deceits that uh, are intentional and um, people do for personal gain. Um, and they lie about you know, politicians. A lot of politicians lie. Um, media, both social and mainstream, everything they say is not true. Um, I was in a long-term committed relationship with an alcoholic, an addict. A lot of lying went with that. Alcoholics and addicts lie. They want to uh, continue their behavior. They don't want to be ashamed. They just find ways to continue and, um, and cover things up. Uh, and there are a number of business people that are unscrupulous. Um, salespeople or you know, companies that that purport things that are completely untrue to, to make a buck. So getting back to the playful deceits of wrestlers, magicians, mediums, mentalists, and psychics, I'll let you believe what you choose to believe and have fun with it. But deep down, when you think about it, you know, you know that psychics can't really accurately predict the future. In life, you can't read the last chapter first. You have to go on the journey and experience it. Thank you. Right there, and now the other side of the argument. Here's Miss Phyllis. Miss There isn't anyone in this room who doesn't want to know something about something, whether it's passing a class, changing your brand of laundry soap, if you should or shouldn't cut your hair, or if those jeans really do make your ass look bigger. <laughs> Sometimes you have to go to somebody else to get the answers you seek. How about this? If I told you the winning number for tomorrow's lotto, pick three, was 743, at least half of you would, on, either on your way home tonight or tomorrow morning, go into a store, slap a dollar down on the counter, and play 743. Then again, chances are pretty good that I'm talking out of my ass, but I could be right. And then you'd be a couple hundred bucks richer and more apt to believe whatever else I had to say. Instead of wondering, will I get a promotion? Should I see a doctor about this thing on my neck? Is that motherfucker cheating on me again? Some answers are easy to get. You want a promotion? Go talk to your, talk to your boss and make a case. That thing on your neck? Well, hell yeah, go, get a, go see a doctor immediately before it gets any bigger. And if you really want to know if your partner is faithful, take some vacation time, get some binoculars, a good camera with a telephoto lens, and go to town. 
Or you can be sensible and go to somebody who has seen the future multiple times and let them tell you what's gonna happen. Now, I admit, I used to be skeptical about psychics. I mean, for real. If they could see the future, how come they are not stupid rich from winning the lottery every day? Why isn't Las Vegas, you know, a ghost town? They should be rolling in money from the Super Bowl, World Series, Stanley Cup, and that event to end all events, the Chicago to Mackinac race. <laughs> With this question in mind, I went to the source of all important information, the Google. Because if there are answers out there and you don't have a psychic handy, the Google is your next best bet. <laughs> what I found is that psychics sometimes do read for themselves. However, there's a certain amount of subjectivity involved, and that means they can't always be accurate. Mystery solved. Dr. Mehmet Oz, the man that made famous by Oprah, and you know Oprah does not back losers. Dr. Oz was skeptical. Uh, and that was until he had the world-renowned psychic medium John Edward on his show. Edward read a woman in Dr. Oz's audience and said, someone near you had a loved one who died on Valentine's Day. I get the feeling they were run over by a car or a truck. The woman said she didn't know anybody that died like that. But John Edwards was so sure that he kept hammering and hammering away at her until finally the woman sitting next, next to her whispered, it's me. See, he said somebody near her. It turned out that her, that is the whispering woman, her best friend's brother was run over and killed by a truck on Valentine's Day. So there. <laughs> Dr. Oz's reaction, he says, and I quote, a doctor tries to find a rational explanation, but I cannot make up an explanation for what John Edward does. You can't doubt Dr. Oz. You know why? Because he went to Harvard. He went to Penn, to medical school. And he teaches at Columbia University. So I'm just saying. Okay, so back to psychics. I have had a few psychic readings. One was at TC Pub in Oak Lawn on Tuesday, which they called their psychic night. And I admit it was not very successful because I was so unimpressed with what the psychic said, I completely forgot what she told me. Um, I was read by a psychic in New Orleans at Marie Laveau's House of Voodoo on Bourbon Street. And each of these psychics told me something that was true. The dude I was dating at the time was not my soulmate. And had I listened to them, I could have saved myself a shitload of heartache and all the money he would later say was a gift if I took him to court on the people's court. <laughs> I, decided, I decided if he wasn't the one, maybe I was asking the wrong questions to the wrong people. So I went a step further. I called Miss Cleo. Miss Cleo had an 800 number and a website. If she was that busy, she had to be good. <laughs> Unfortunately, when I called, I did not get Miss Cleo herself, but I got one of her many talented psychics. So when I asked, will I ever get married? She said without hesitation and with a degree of anger, I might add, no. <laughs> I said, what, no? Yes, no, 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 never, never, you're never getting married. What do you say after that? Um, 
Some people are together forever and they never marry. Well, so she left me a little bit of hope. So I chewed on that for a second and thought about Kirk Russell and Goldie Hawn. They've been together forever. That's not bad company to be in. But before I could ask her my follow-up question, she spat into the phone, do you have any other questions? And I thought, hell no. She already shut me down on the first one. What other bubble did I want this bitch to burst for me? So I thanked her, God knows why, and hung up. She didn't even try to fake a Jamaican accent. Maybe I was the only person to ask that question that day, and she just snapped. But I think for $3.99 a minute, she should have been kissing my ass to keep me on the phone. Okay, that reading wasn't successful, or was it? I mean, that was 15 years ago, and I am still single, so maybe she knows what she's talking about. But I believe, had I spoken to Miss Cleo herself, I would have gotten a better and not so surly answer. And before anybody brings up the whole, oh, well, you know, Miss Cleo got sued by the state of Missouri because she violated their no-call law, you know what that says to me? That says that out of the 800,000 people in Missouri who signed up for the no-call list, that there were 94 of them that Miss Cleo really needed to talk to. <laughs> she had information to share with them. <laughs> messages from the other side. <laughs> and she followed the demands of the spirits and made those phone calls. The state of Missouri be damned. <laughs> My best psychic experience was with a gentleman named Mel Dore, intuitive consultant and psychic medium. I have his phone number and website if you're interested. A friend had seen Mel and highly recommended him, so much so that when he told me what he'd learned at his reading, I actually got goosebumps. So I, he drove me to see Mel, and his, he, at the time he was working in the back of a hair salon in Mount Prospect, but that does not mean he wasn't a psychic. <laughs> When I went, I had just moved back to Chicago from San Francisco, and I wanted to know what I had to look forward to. Was that my bell? No. Oh, okay. Um, Somebody's food is out. My fellow skeptics told me not to give Mel too much information, just short yes-no questions, and try not to show any emotion because they read your face for you know to know if they're on track or not. Well, that was not possible with Mel because he is fucking hilarious. <laughs> He told me jokes, he was friendly, and he immediately put me at ease. So whatever I was thinking was all over my face. So we actually laughed and talked throughout my entire reading. And he told me things from my past and what he saw in my future. I was with him for about 90 minutes, but I'm just going to give you the highlights. He said I would work at the nonprofit where I worked at the time for a long time. And I probably still would be working there if there hadn't been the little problem of government funding and mismanagement of funds. He <laughs> described my husband-to-be as a man of about six to six and a half feet tall. He'd be big and fit because I've always wanted a man who could pick me up if the need arose. <laughs> He'd have a great sense of humor, love kids, and would have something to do with the law. Now, I was hoping that the law would mean he practiced or uphold it and not necessarily be sentenced under it. <laughs> he also said that I would go back to school, and that's when I thought, dude, you were so not a psychic. At that time, I was not interested in going back to school. So, to make this long story briefer, 
Um, lastly, he saw the image of a hand flowing across paper, and I told him I was a writer. He said, that's where I would find success. Well, isn't that what every writer wants to hear? <laughs> so this is what I gleaned from all of this. Um, Mel was right. I did have a job for a long time. I worked at Northwestern for 16 years, score one. I haven't met my husband yet, but I did meet a 5'10 retired Chicago police officer who had kids. Mel did not say the date, date, or year I would meet the six to six and a half foot man, so that prediction is still open. <laughs> Going back to school. Okay, so working in a hospital, I found out that one of my employee benefits, in addition to that amazing 20% discount in the emergency room, was tuition reimbursement, so I went back to school. <laughs> Success at writing, I'm here. Um, <laughs> and I have been published in print. So yes, psychics are real and they care about us. Final proof of Mel's gift is this. I was working for that nonprofit. I was making about what you would, I would consider uh, the paper equivalent of pocket change. And when he did my reading, he told me, I'm not gonna charge you because you can't afford this. How he knew I was using the electric bill money, I don't know, <laughs> but he knew. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. All right, so here's the thing. Before we go to Frank, I just have to tell this quick story that um, I've been to a psychic, I've been to a, a tarot card reader, and uh, I've been to New Orleans many times. And one of the times I was in New Orleans was over Halloween weekend, and I was walking down in the middle of the quarter, and we're all dressed up, and everyone's drunk, and it's a it's a you know New Orleans French Quarter the Halloween weekend, and somebody comes over and puts um, some beads over my neck, and I hadn't like showed my or anything like that. It was just like this thing. Like they just went like, you know, they said something and like put the beads over my neck. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I kept walking. And like an instant later, I got this like terrible feeling in my shoulders. And it was, it was pain, like a, like a shoulder or back pain, but there was something more to it that was just this like deeper, weirder, stranger pain. And I'm walking along and I'm like, to be fair, I'm shit fucked out of my head. <laughs> I'm like, there's what hurts, and it's like, it was like, I was like, just like crumpling in on myself, it hurt so bad, so I took the beads off, gone, no problem whatsoever. That was the voodoo thing. I, voodoo thing, fine, yeah, I don't know what the fuck it was, I don't know if it was a curse or something, I don't know what, but like, beads on, bad, beads off, great. Um, so, for whatever that's worth, to this, Frank, that's not important to the ruling, but... All I'm saying is I've seen some shit, man. <laughs> and I've felt some things. All right, so, uh, Judge Frank, do you have a ruling? I do, yes. And where does that ruling lie? I'm gonna give it to Phyllis. So, okay, so Phyllis made a better argument. That psychics are real, okay. so much for coming out. Uh, we'll be back here next month for Bug House number 23, I think it is, uh, June 3rd, first Monday of the month. Uh, check out literatape.com, listen to podcasts, and uh, again, thanks for being here, and, and hope you had fun, and that's all. Good night. Have the, enjoy your sex, whatever.